Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Continue today in the red letter of Jesus. In most of your Bibles, when Jesus speaks, they are printed in, in red. And throughout the New Testament, in the Gospels, what we find is Jesus over and over again makes statements that appear to be and seem to be, and in most cases are significantly counterculture and counterintuitive. Jesus teaches us things like, if you want to be first, be last. If you want to be great, become a servant. Jesus teaches us if someone strikes you, let them give them the other side of your cheek. If somebody wants your shirt, give them your jacket. Jesus, everything he teaches is counterculture to what we know, and today is is no different. And we we find Jesus's red letters giving us this great challenge today that many of us, I would be willing to say most of us, uh, kind of wipe out of our dictionary and, and most of us out of vocabulary, and I fear most of us out of our life because it causes us to think and act and react in a counterculture, counterintuitive way. This morning, about, um, about three and a half hours by air from here, in the nation of Haiti, a, a friend and fellow pastor is preaching to several hundred families, of which about 300 are orphaned children, and he's sharing the love of Jesus because the red letters are too important to let go. Not far from there is a lady by the name of Miriam, who is sharing the love of Jesus with about 140 orphaned children behind walls with razor wire on top and steel gates with armed guards because there is food inside that camp. And where there is food, outside there is no food. And desperate people do desperate things. And yet those children are safe and secure and fed. About four and a half miles from there is a place called Tent City where there is an orphanage of about 40 children who a couple of Monday nights ago somehow got word to the orphanage where we were staying out that those children hadn't eaten in four days and four nights. Let that sink in, four days and four nights. And so we went and found some food, which is not easy to do in Haiti that is already cooked, and delivered it to that place where there is no running water, there is no electricity, there, is, there, there are no facilities. And we walked into a dark room with no windows and no power and one candlestick where they had dripped wax in the middle of the table and stuck the candle on there. And there sat about 40 children who hadn't eaten in four days and four nights. And as we began to get the food in front of all those children, they all sat there with their hands in their lap and waited until every child had food in front of them and the food had been properly been blessed and the Lord had been thanked for that food. And then when those children finally ate, they ate. But you know, those kids probably wouldn't have fit into our mainstream here because you see, hungry people here tend to not wait. We tend to just take and go, do we not? As a matter of fact, most of us today, when we get to whatever restaurant of choice that we will leave church and go to that you've already started texting your children or spouse about already in service, most of us won't even thank God for that food. 
not far from there, about an hour and a half, is an orphanage up in the mountains, second highest point in Haiti, where about 50 children live in a place where you wouldn't let your neighbor's worst dog live. In a place filled with flies and dirt and filth, where until our team showed up, there was no food in that pitiful kitchen where in the streets you would drive by and you would see children 13, 14, 15 years of age playing soccer with a few dozen other children and you'd see a few kids out there with no clothes on and you'd say, what is up with that? Until you realize they didn't have clothes to put on. So my friend, Pastor Vincent, drove us through all those places and took us to a piece of property and said, I see a day here where we can teach these children skills and vocational skills and with church that would do that. And I could see us having a, I could see us having a, a band and preachers and music and health clinics and, and having feeding stations and literally preaching to thousands of people and thousands of people knowing how they could find food and find Jesus. And, and he sat there and he wept as he saw all of this coming to fruition. And I thought to myself, here's a bright, articulate, generous, gracious man who could easily move to the States and invest in a big TV ministry and write books and be on the preaching circuit and really be something. And in Haiti, he chooses to go home to a rented house not far from those slums where 19 orphan children he has adopted and they live there in his home and he feeds them and loves them and cares for them and when I was in his home I saw the most gracious kind loving wonderful children who knew the love of Jesus because they saw it in someone who said I will take you I will care for you I will minister to you and I thought to myself that is a man who knew what red letters look like and that is a man who will never be the same because red letters changed his life so my question for you today is have these red letters done anything to change yours? I really have a message in that iPad right there. It's alliterated. It has subpoints. It's even got great stories in it. And I'm not using an ounce of it. Somehow I look at my life and I think to myself, you know what, I, I'm not the red letter life that I'm supposed to be. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, as Reuben read earlier, in verse number 36, a lawyer asked Jesus this question. He says, teacher, remember Jesus began his ministry as a rabbi, and so he says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? In essence, what, what he's asking is, what matters most? Now keep in mind that up until now, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the big cogs in the synagogue, the most religious people in the world, they had lists of hundreds of rules that, that you were supposed to maintain. Wear this, don't wear that. Eat this, don't eat that. Drink this, don't drink that. Listen to this, don't listen to that. Go here, don't go there. I mean, it was like that diet book that says, eat this, not that. But it was all rules, hundreds of them. By the way, no human alive could keep those rules. I think I broke 40 of them on the way to church today. 50 maybe. And they knew it. But their job was to point a finger at everybody who broke the rules. So the lawyer, being one of them, thought to himself, you know what, I'm going to test this guy Jesus out. I'm going to find out 
what's the main thing, what matters most. And Jesus unloads on him what we now know as the great commandment. The great commandment starts right here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now Jesus says, what matters most is this. Love God with your heart, with your mind, and with your soul. Now we hear those terms and I'm not sure we understand all that Jesus is trying to convey to us. Jesus is saying, love God with all your heart. So let me, let me, let me ask the obvious question. What happens when your heart stops? You die. Jesus is saying, make sure coursing through your veins, pumping through this muscle, through this organ, make sure it's full of me. That through every vein, through every capillary, make sure through every process of your entire body, you are in love with me. But then he goes on and says, and love me with your mind. Don't put trash in that garbages that up. Love with your mind, how you think, how you rethink. Some of us have been thinking about our guilt and all the mistakes we've made in our life. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, but if you love me with all your mind, I offer you forgiveness. I offer you freedom. I I offer you a new way of life. Love me with your heart. Love me with your mind. And then he says, love me with your soul. Now that, that spiritual term is where many of us get hung up. So let me make this simple with the red letter ABCs. Are you ready? Jesus is saying from the top of your hair to the end of your longest toenail, love me with every ounce of who you are. He's saying, don't don't let anything stand between me and you. Don't let anything come in the way of you loving me with your heart and your mind and your soul, no matter what it is. Not money, not job, not a relationship, nothing. Not even your service to the church, not even the church, not even your orthodoxy of what you like to sing or read. Let nothing come between how much you love me. And then he goes on and says, now, if you love me, then he says, and a second is like it. Now, to to paraphrase that, what he's really saying is this. If you love God like you should, what I'm about to say should be easy for you. And a second, kind of like 1B, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, now that assumes something pretty significant. A, it assumes you love God with your heart, your mind, and your soul. And it assumes that if God is in your life and you love him at that degree, you can love yourself because of the presence of Jesus. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The only thing good within us is the presence of Jesus. The only good we offer the world is the presence of Jesus. Let me be blatantly clear here, at the risk of offending all of you, all right, because I'm an equal opportunity offender, but I don't offer you one good thing apart from the presence of Jesus in my life. You know why? My heart, according to this book, is capable of all manner of evil. Okay, now, let me state the obvious. That's true for you too. You say, well, Chuck, I'm a good person. According to this book, there's no one good but God. And the only hope you have of doing good, of being right, of being righteous, is to love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. 
Now, the implication here is, is pretty simple in the ABCs of the red letter. If you love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, you will find it easy to love other people. Now, I want you to notice that, that Jesus, in his red letters, he didn't give us any qualifications on the people. He didn't say, hey, love people that are the same color you are. He didn't say, hey, lo- love people who love you. He didn't say, hey, love people that are nice to you. He said, he said love people. You say, well, well, Chuck, you don't understand. I, I, I don't like black people. Well, you don't understand, Chuck. I, I was born in the South. Okay, now look at me right here. You ready? Then you don't love God the way he just described. Well, you don't understand, Chuck. My, I grew up in the home of a bigot and a racist. Okay, then love God with all your heart, your mind, and soul, and stop that stupid cycle now. Because I promise you, when you get to glory, you're not going to know if they're black, red, white, green, purple. You have, you're going to have a clue. You might as well get used to it now. You say, well, I believe God's a southerner. <laughs> really? <laughs> Did you know he even wants you to love Democrats? Think about that. I know what somebody just said, uh-uh. <laughs> I didn't find that in the New Testament. Jesus put no condition. He said, love people. And by the way, I want you to notice this because this is the telltale sign. Are you ready? If you are struggling with loving someone, according to this word of Jesus, it's because you're not loving God the way you should. They say, well, Chuck, you don't know what they've done to you. Guess what? Who stinking cares? Jesus said, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And by the way, when you do that, you're going to love other people. That's the great commandment. Now, let let me point out something that, that happens next. I believe if you live the great commandment, you find it easy over in John chapter 14, verse 15, to start the great correction. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Whenever you hear somebody like Dr. Ron or me say, you just need to rest in Jesus, you know how you can know you can do that? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you'll find it easy to love other people because you're in the process of this great correction that says, wait a minute, look, 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 if I love God, if I love Jesus, I will obey what he says. And when I obey what he says, look what happens. He's given me the spirit of God to live within me and I can rest in him and I can find it easy to love other people and obey him. Guess what? Because he is doing a work in me, the great correction of how I see people to now I see people as he sees people. I see God as Jesus sees the Father. I see Jesus as my great sustainer, my great helper. As Laura so wonderfully sang, his name is a strong and mighty tower and I can rest in him because of the great correction. You say, well, what happens in the midst of the great correction? Great question. All right. Uh, let Let me find that passage and I'll tell you. How about that? Wow, wait a minute. You mean Jesus said, go and make fishers of men? Jesus said, come unto me, and I will make you fishers of men. Pull that, pull that text up. Where is it at? 
Yeah, come follow me in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. The great correction. All right, now, some of you are saying, no, 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 no. Chuck, I give God money when the baskets pass to pay people like you to do that. You just failed the test. Okay, because the great correction is Jesus comes to normal 16, 17-year-old young men and says, drop your nets, leave the boat, leave your dad, leave your family, and when you do, you're going to follow me and you're going to tell people about me. You say, well, Chuck, listen. Hold, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Chuck, listen to me. I believe my job is to live in such a way that people see my life and they're so attracted to it, I don't have to tell them about Jesus. Right? How's that working for you? When's the last time somebody got baptized because of your life? When's the last time somebody became a follower of Jesus because of your life? When's the last time somebody gave a testimony they became a disciple of Christ because of your life? You say, well, Chuck, listen, you know what? I, I think my relationship with Jesus is a personal thing. Okay, okay, good for you. Not according to him. Not according to him. You see, if you love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, then you find it easy to love other people. If you find it easy to love other people, then what's happening is you're loving God. And if you're loving God, then you're obeying his commandments. And if you're obeying his commandments, then you're out there fishing for people, telling them about what happened to your life because Jesus loved you so much. He died for you, rose from the dead for you, created a home in heaven for you, and gave you life more abundantly here today. And you're not willing to tell somebody about that. And the reason you're not willing to tell somebody about that is because we're afraid somebody might say no, or they might find you out that you really aren't the heathen. You act like Monday through Saturday. Saturday. You say, you know, Chuck, I, would you go back to that sermon? See, it kind of looks like this. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Eh, not too good. What's up? I'm going through a nasty divorce. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. What happened? I made some stupid decisions. My wife said, that's it. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. What'd you do? Well, it was stupid. Hey, it really was. So what are you doing now? Well, I'm living down at the Comfort Inn. You got kids? Yeah, I got three. How often do you see them? Ah, about every three weeks. Ooh, sorry, bro. Yeah. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, you, you got any friends? Well, you know, these guys here at work, go have a beer with them afterwards, you know. Oh, okay. I said, when's the last time you went to church? Oh, you know, I, it's not really for me. I mean, every time I go, people look down their nose, and they just, there's no room for people with me like that. I said, man, we got a church people like you. What? Said, yeah, we got liars, cheats, thieves, they're everywhere. Really? Oh, yeah, we, our church is full of hypocrites. Come on. <laughs> that kid liked it. <laughs> I'm going to pay that kid to be in every sermon. You know? Every joke, some kid ought to go, ah! Yeah, yeah, you're a hypocrite too, kid. <laughs> so Bob says, really? I, I could go to church like yours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, right, we got guys who've done the same stupid you've done. Come on. Really? Yeah. He said, well, how does that work? I said, well, it's really like this. I said, you know, there was a time in my life where I, I came to realize that I needed to have a relationship with God because I'd made so many stupid decisions. I was separated from him. Really? I said, it's kind of like you are now. Oh, yeah, man, I couldn't be further from God. Well, would you like to be closer? No, whoa, 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 whoa. First, let me clarify something here. 
Shucky baby. I'm not giving up my beer and I like to cuss and I, I'm not doing that. I'll come to church, but don't be throwing that whole Jesus thing at me. Okay, okay. I said, well, what if, what if I could tell you that Jesus loves you just the way you are and offers forgiveness and hope for this life and he could offer you a life more abundantly today and you could live in heaven forever and all you had to do was to call on him and say, Jesus, I need you, I love you, please forgive me. I want to live for you and I, I accept the fact that you died for me and you rose from the dead for me and you love me. What, what if I told you, you you could have that? Really? Yeah. He said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on the whole prayer thing. I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say to God. I'm a little embarrassed. I said, well, there's no need to be embarrassed of God. He saw it all. Ooh. And by all, I mean all, bro. Hmm. Would you, what, if, what, if I, what if I prayed out loud and you kind of prayed out loud behind me and you, you could follow me? Yeah, but just don't go too fast. Okay. Are you one of those guys that in your wedding vows you got stumbled up because the preacher went too? Yeah. Uh, okay. I said, we'll go real slow. So what if, what if it sounds like this? And by the way, don't do it if you don't mean it. Okay. Jesus, please forgive me for all my stupid stuff. Jesus, please forgive me for all my stupid stuff. Would, would you come clean me up and make me new? Would you come clean me up and make me new? Jesus, would, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thanks for raising from the grave for me. Thanks for raising from the grave for me. Thanks for making a home in heaven for me. Thanks for making a home in heaven for me. I want to turn around. I, I, I want to make a U-turn in my life. I don't want to live for me anymore. You say, what? You just, I want to change my life. I want to change my life. I want to live for you. I want to live for you. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for loving me and giving me heaven. Are you sure? And giving me heaven and giving me heaven. Did you really mean that? Yeah. Amen. Amen. I, I don't feel any different, Chuck. I said, well, that's probably good. I said, but I promise you right now, angels in heaven are pitching a party for you. And now just let Jesus do what he wants to do in your life. Oh, and by the way, would you like to know what you need to do now? Yeah. Okay, cool. Then why don't you go to Matthew 28 with me and I'll tell you. And Jesus came and said to them, beginning in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, wait a minute. That Jesus who has given authority by God, our creator, and God, his father, to do all things, both in heaven and on earth, says, I now have been given authority to do all that. And here's that word, therefore. Don't you know by now that every time you read this in the Bible, wherever that therefore is, therefore, you stop and ask, what's that therefore, therefore? Because he has all authority, you, having Jesus in you, go and make disciples. You know what that guy just did with me? He just became a disciple. How many of you would claim to be a disciple of Jesus? Raise your hand, tall, please, for me. We're real high. Hold him up for a minute. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Raise your hand. Okay, okay, cool. I'm not going to embarrass you by asking how many of you in the last year have attempted to share with somebody how to become a disciple because based on the number of hands that were just raised, less than five of you attempted that in the last year. Now, here's, here's, here's what I know. 
if you love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and because of that you find it easy to love other people in that thing called the great commandment, then the great correction says, I'm going to obey and I'm going to follow the commands of Jesus and I'm going to be fishing. Because if you're not fishing, you're not really following and a disciple is a follower of Jesus. And then the great commission happens when you ask yourself, well, what does it have to do with me? Well, what it has to do with you is Jesus saying to you, go therefore and make disciples. That guy who just prayed and gave his life to Christ is now a disciple and baptize them because then I say, you know what's next for you is I'd love to baptize you at our church. Do what? Yeah. You know, you know Reuben that, that's one of the one, one of the big wigs over at Lanier High School? Yeah. I know him. He'll baptize you, isn't he your buddy? Yeah. Reuben? Yeah, he'll baptize you. And he might hold you down an extra minute or two, but he'll baptize you. <laughs> I mean he gets all ranger on us every now and then, you know, but really, yeah. Well, why would I get baptized? Because it pictures that you just became a disciple of Jesus. And when you go under the water, you're picturing Jesus' death. And when you come up out of the water, you're picturing Jesus raising from the dead. And that someday when you die, they'll bury you, but you will have already arisen. You will have gone to heaven because you became a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because when Reuben baptizes you, he's going to take his right hand, and he's going to put it in the air, and he's going to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because that's where all the power is, not in Reuben, not in me, not in the water. And then he's going to baptize you, and he's going to bring you up. And then he's, what he's going to say is this. Why don't you come join me on Thursday morning at this men's thing at 6 30 and we're going to talk about what it is to live the courageous style of a Christian man and come be a part of a growth group or a Sunday school class or a small group or a discipleship group or whatever it is you want to call all that because I don't really care and then we're going to teach and what are you going to teach us you're going to teach me how to be a man no I'm going to teach you all these things that Jesus has commanded us oh and by the way gets, watch this this is too cool and behold I'm with you always even to the end of the age, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You see the cycle of the red letter ABCs. If you love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, then you find it easy to love people, especially people that are different than you, people you don't like, people that are not necessarily nice to you. And when you do, you have this great correction going on in your life where all of a sudden in your life you find it easy to obey the commandments of Jesus and you go fishing for for disciples and you start making disciples. Then the Great Commission becomes a natural part of your life because literally what it says is as you are going, as you're going to Lanier High School, you're going to make disciples. As you're going over to Hendrick Chevrolet, you're going to go and make disciples. As you go to Publix, you're going to go make disciples as you go to class you're going to go and make disciples as you go to your office you're going to go and make disciples and why are you going to go make disciples because you want to see them baptized so that they can identify with Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection and why are you going to do that so now they can be a part of a family like this who can learn and be taught all those things that Jesus commanded because then I want them to know for the rest of their life that he will never leave them he will never forsake them and he will be with them forever and so that causes me to ask you two questions after all that ramble and that is this. Number one, how are you doing in your love with God? I, I think at times what happens to us is we, we get in a, a service like this, and over the two hours we've got, you know, 1,100 or so people in this room, and I don't know, three or 400 people in the rest of the building, and whatever those numbers are, and, um, and we think, well, it's all about this, isn't it? No, it's not. The great commandment, the great correction, and the great commission 
is about your heart. You. Well, you know, Chuck, Jesus is coming for the church. Okay, look right here. You're the church. He's not coming for these four walls. He's not coming for our budget. He's not coming for our buildings. He's not coming for our programs. He's not coming for our music. You know who Jesus is coming for? He's coming back for his people. He's coming back for people who believe the great commandment causes us to love him with all our heart, our mind, our soul. He's coming for people who, because of that love, other people. He's coming for people who, out of that love, obey his commandments and want to share with the world that they can have this as well. And as a result, they're going and making disciples and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then after that, teaching them to obey all these things that Jesus has commanded us because we have a promise from him, not from me, not from a church, not from a denomination. We have a promise from Jesus that says, when all these things happen, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I've got you. So if you're not loving people, especially difficult people, and the question is, are you loving God? If you're not obeying Jesus, you're not living for Jesus, you don't find this, this course correction natural in your life to come back to Jesus, then it all comes back to loving God. If you're not making disciples, if you're not baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if you're not teaching them and growing them in Christ, then it all comes back to that beginning stage of the ABCs where, A, it is the great commandment, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and as a result, you love people. And when that happens, then all those other things occur, including teaching them these things I've commanded you. You see, some of you are like that person that I shared with, and what you need to say today is, Jesus, I need you. Because you can't love God without having a personal relationship with his son, Jesus. You can't love God without saying, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me my sin. Come into my life. I need you. You can't love people without that. You can't obey his commandments without loving people. You can't fish for people if you don't love them. You can't make disciples unless you go. So how are you doing? And then the second question, not only how... How are you loving God? How are you doing as a disciple of Jesus? As a pastor, you know what I'm supposed to care about? I'm supposed to care about our buildings, and I'm supposed to care about our signs, and I'm supposed to care about how many people come to Easter, and I'm supposed to care about our budget, and I'm supposed to care about... You know the problem with that is? What we're really supposed to care about are the things that Jesus cares about. You know what Jesus cares about? Your heart. You know what Jesus cares about? Are you loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul? You know what Jesus cares about? Are you loving other people? You know what Jesus cares about? Are you obeying him? You know what Jesus cares? Are you going and fishing for people? Are you going and making disciples and baptizing them and teaching them all these things? That's what Jesus cares about. Maybe today you just need to say, Jesus, I need you. Maybe today you need to say, you know what? I'm going to love God with all my heart, and it's going to become easier to love people. And I'm going to find my way to forgiveness, and I'm going to find my way to peace, and I'm going to find my way to contentment, and I'm going to trust God for life more abundantly. It's your choice. Would you stand with me as we pray? Quietly and reverently, and nobody leaving the room.
Lord Jesus, today what we ask you is would you give us direction and clarity on how to love you more so that we might love others, we might live for you, and we might trust you with all our heart. Do what only you can do in our life this day. Draw us unto yourself. Cause us to leave this room and live for you. To act and react out of love. In the name of Jesus, we pray with the certainty, the knowledge, and the blessing that you are mighty to save. Amen.